He had been called to preach the gospel. He says, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. To be of no effect, it means to, in the Greek, it means to take away the power or the significance. It is to be about the cross of Jesus Christ, not about the words of men. Look at all the great many denominations that have arisen from the pure teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ in days gone by, but have now been made powerless through the wisdom of man. And this happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God is set aside in order to stay relevant to our ever-changing culture, this world that we live in. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Alright, this year we're opening up a new study. Today beginning 1 Corinthians, looking at verses 1 through 17 of chapter 1 and a chapter that I, for me, I entitled it, Knowing Your Calling. We find here Paul's introduction in verses 1 through 3, Paul's thankfulness, verses 4 through 9, and Paul's concern, verses 10 through 17. But also in verse 9, that we are to have koinonia with Christ, that God is faithful by whom we are called into the fellowship with his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord, that First and foremost, God is faithful. We think of our faith quite often toward God. We think of our faithfulness toward God, our lack of faithfulness. We think of uh, faithfulness toward another. But here Paul reminds us that God is faithful. God is faithful. As in Deuteronomy 7, 9, it tells us that we should know that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for thousands of generations. Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23 tells us that though our Lord's mercies are not consumed because of his compassion fails not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is faithful. And we've been called into this koinonia, this fellowship with Christ Jesus. We looked at this a little bit last week, this Greek word, Koinonia, this Greek word that's translated as fellowship. It means to be in common with or to participate in. It means to have a share in something. It's a Greek word that refers to not only fellowship, but communion, 
a sharing together. And as a community or fellowship of Christian believers, we participate in this life of faith together. And this is foundational for us. But we not only have communion or koinonia with one another, if we only had koinonia with one another, we'd be as good as any other club that's out there today. Paul reminds us that our koinonia is with God. It's with Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 3 tells us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So are we thankful for the grace of God that has been given to us by Christ Jesus? Are we thankful? Paul gave thanks. He not only introduced himself to the church, they knew him, but it was polite to do an introduction. I'll just say that again. It's polite to do an introduction. We are so email and text crazed today that we forget to sometimes say good afternoon at the beginning of a letter. We just start talking as if we're not introducing ourselves, that we don't have to anymore. It's nice to have an introduction. Paul reminds us of that. It's also good to be thankful, not only for the believers, but for the work of God in the lives of believers that the Lord has already done in our lives. Are we thankful? But Paul also had concerns. In verses 10 through 17, he begins to lay out those concerns. In verse 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind in the same judgment. Paul's plea is that there would be no division among the saints in Corinth. It's actually, it was interesting to me. Remember, the Lord Jesus said to the church that he would send another comforter to you. The Greek word is parakletos. I will send another comforter to you, the Holy Spirit. It's a word that combines together to mean to call near, but here Paul uses it to admonish or to exhort the believers in Corinth. It's his plea. He's calling them that they would have no division. This division speaks about a, a split, a, to be severed or to tear. And Paul desired for them to have unity, not disunity. In 1 Corinthians 11, 18 and 19, he said, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there is division among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Paul admits later on, he says, I hear that there are divisions. But at the beginning of his letter, he says, it is my desire that you would have unity, not division, that you would be perfectly joined it's a Greek word that means to be fitted together or to mend or to repair. It would be a word that uh, they would use to talk about mending the fishing nets, that they would sew them back together, that they'd be perfectly joined together. It's also used here 
in the church itself, that the church would be mended back together, perfectly joined together. And although the church of Corinth had been divided, it was Paul's desire to see them perfectly mended together, to be perfectly mended in mind and in judgment. In Philippians 2.2, it tells us that we are to be like-minded, having the same love, to be of one accord, of one mind. Like-minded, the same love, of one accord, of one mind. It all speaks about the unity that God desires for his church. But there was division among them. And he begins to explain some of that division, the contentions that they had in verse 11. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there is contentions among you. The Corinthians had written to Paul consulting him about marriage, about things offered to idols, about uh, the church, how they should function when they come together as the body. They had written a letter asking these questions, but they didn't write to Paul and say, oh, by the way, we have division. It's horrible. They didn't mention anything about that in their letter. Do you ever do that? Kind of avoid the main thing? A doctor told that to my mom once when she had major things going on. She would tell the doctor about the most minor thing. My fingernail hurts a little bit. And she had cancer, but she wouldn't talk about the cancer. She would talk about some other thing that was going on. Well, they had written to him about some pretty major things, about marriage, idol worship, offerings to idols, how they should conduct themselves when the church comes together. But they did not share with him that there was division in the body. He heard that from Chloe and her household. And we know nothing more of this individual other than Paul mentioning them here in verse 11. Yet Paul gives validity to his admonition that he was bringing against the church at this time, that there were specific contentions coming against them. 2 Timothy 2, verses 23 through 26, he tells Timothy, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And as the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, be patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance so that the truth may be known, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Paul, writing to Timothy to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes that generate strife. The older I get, and the more I try to guard my words, not only from the pulpit, but even when speaking to individuals. But on the other hand, I also know that I need to proclaim the truth of God's word. And sometimes the truth of God's word will hurt an individual. It will bring heartache to an individual. As Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the hope is to bring them to repentance so we're not to shy away from the truth, but we are to kind of watch how we present the truth. And I think sometimes we perhaps do a poor job in how we present the truth of God's word. We need to guard our, our words and how we speak, that we can speak the truth in love. 
but still speak the truth. There was division, the division that they had, four of them specifically named in verse 12. Now you say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, that would be Peter, or I am of Christ. And apparently, this is my perspective, some of the believers came to faith under Paul's teaching, and so they connected to Paul. Other believers came to faith under the teaching of Apollos. They connected to Apollos. Perhaps some under the ministry of Peter, so they connected to Cyphus. And others, maybe by the work of the Holy Spirit, no individual preaching, and those saying, I am of Christ. But sadly, they divided over preachers instead of being united under Christ. I find that in the church today, we can do that same thing. We divide over individuals, people in the church, instead of uniting under Christ himself. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 through 23 says, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cyphus, for the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. You are Christ, and Christ is God's. That we're not to divide over men, over individuals. We belong to Jesus Christ. And so here, rhetorical questions that he gives, verse 13, he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Although Jesus Christ himself is not divided, his church is is often divided. These divisions can happen locally, nationally, globally. Locally, divisions happen within a specific fellowship, which often leads to a church split. Nationally, these divisions happen between different fellowships as they divide under different beliefs about God, Jesus, the teaching of God's word, or the work of the church itself. And globally, we find divisions come because of perhaps nationality, the different cultures, but also the church denominations that have developed. And yet Christ himself is not divided. It's Jesus Christ who was crucified for our sins. It's Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus that we have been baptized. In Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Unity. This coming Tuesday, if it all works out, I'm having lunch with the area pastors. Uh, back in the fall of this past year, we started getting together again, uh, trying to get together once a month on the second Tuesday of each month. But if everyone shows up, to my knowledge, there will be six different pastors from six different denominations or non-denominational churches. And we're able to come together, we're able to meet together because we realize that we all serve the same Savior, Jesus Christ, who is crucified for us and through whom we have been baptized. You know, one of the things that we have done in connection with this is to have our churches meet together on the National Day of Prayer united to pray for our nation. I think that's a beautiful thing to do. 
So Paul says to the church that was so divided, dividing under names like Apollos, Paul, Peter, or Christ, he said in verse 14 and 16, I thank God that I baptize none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Here, Paul, I find it amazing, but not so amazing now. The older I get, it's like, I can't remember all the people I baptized. Maybe you can remember if I baptize you, but I don't remember all the names. I remember some. Some stand out more than others. And Paul said, Crispus, he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. We read of that back in the book of Acts. We don't read about Paul baptizing him there, but we read that Paul did baptize him. That had to be tremendous for Paul himself. It was after Paul said, I'm going to the Gentiles. And then it says that the ruler of the synagogue got saved. The Jewish man got saved. When he said, I'm done with you guys. I've spoke the word to you guys. I am not guilty of your blood. Your blood be upon you. Christmas came to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul baptized him. He baptized Gaius. He baptized their household. He baptized Stephanus. But he said, I did not come to baptize. In fact, Gaius was the host in Romans 16, 23. Gaius, my host, and the host of those of the church greet you. He was in the house of Gaius when he wrote the letter to the Romans. And Stephanus, we only learn of him here, but he was among the first to come to faith there in that region. And he mentions him again in chapter 16, verse 16, of being the first fruits of Acacia. Paul only baptized a few believers, and it appears that he was glad of it, that he only baptized a few, that they wouldn't connect to them that way. He said, I didn't come to baptize. The Lord gave us the commission to baptize, of course. It's one of the two ordinances that we have in the church to receive communion, to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism of believers is so important that it helps to identify with the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. It does not bring about salvation, but it is a symbol of the work that Jesus has already done in our lives. In Romans 6, 4, it tells us that through baptism, we were buried with him through the baptism into his death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, also we would walk in newness of life. So believers' baptism, a symbol of our spiritual death, our burial, and our resurrection to new life. But he said in our last verse here, verse 17, I did not come to baptize. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. It appears that the church in Corinth and the believers valued the position in Christ that they had in connection to the preacher that brought them to faith. And, you know, sometimes we hear that in the Calvary Chapel movement. I came to faith and Pastor Chuck, I was baptized at Pirate's Cove out in California by Pastor Chuck. And you hear a bit of that. Maybe uh, you still hear of those who had come to faith under the ministry of Billy Graham. There's nothing wrong with uh, the person who 
preached the word of God. It was an evangelist named Terry Clapp when I was seven years old that I came to faith under, under his preaching. But we stand in unity. It's not about the person who brings us to faith. It's about the fact that we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps baptizing new converts was the role of Barnabas or Silas or Timothy or Titus or Gaius or the others that traveled with Paul. But Paul said, the Lord didn't call me to baptize. He called me to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He had been called to preach the gospel. He says, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. To be of no effect, it means to, in the Greek, it means to take away the power or the significance. It is to be about the cross of Jesus Christ, not about the words of men. Look at all the great many denominations that have arisen from the pure teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ in days gone by, but have now been made powerless through the wisdom of man. And this happens when the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God is set aside in order to stay relevant to our ever-changing culture, this world that we live in. But how important it is to discover God's call upon our lives and once discover to act upon that call in accordance to his call. It's important for us as believers today to discover God's call for our lives and once discovered to act upon that call. Today, there are many in the U.S. who are living like the Corinthians. There's great wealth. There's great success and there's great immorality. And yet the Lord planted a church in a very immoral city in the first century known as Corinth. And I believe today that the Lord can do a work in our very immoral at times nation that we live in today. That God can do a work and we should be praying that the Lord would do a work in this nation today. What the world still needs today is believers who knowing their calling from Jesus Christ, not only know the call, but are willing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We learned today that it was through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God and the knowledge of salvation came to those who were in Corinth. And Paul, he was very thankful for the work of God. He reminded them of the grace of God that they had already received. And it came through the faithfulness of God, the grace of God to bring them into koinonia. But also there was disunity within the fellowship there. And he was calling them to a place of unity that they would come together again under the banner of Christ. May it be that we would stand in a place of unity May be that we would also, if you don't know the call that God has placed upon your life, then seek the Lord, discover that call. And once discovered, start working toward that call and what God would do with you and for you and 
through you, and that we together can do the work that the Lord has called us to. You know, church life, it's not about one individual. It's about the body of Christ coming together and working together. You know, the unity of this body coming together, working together, though small, I believe that we could do great things and that God could work greatly through us. May it be so that you would help us, Lord, to come to that place of unity where we would come together, Lord, to work together as the body of Christ. Help us, Lord, to have thankful hearts and help us, Lord, to understand the call you have placed upon us. And Lord, help us to then concentrate our efforts on those calls, those callings that you have given us. And Lord, perhaps some of us are questioning perhaps the call that you have given us. And Lord, if there are those who are questioning that call, let them today seek your face and help them to bring answers to their lives. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work among us this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.